When I say the phrase, be prepared, what comes to your mind? Very good. Somebody just said it. Boy Scouts right there. For some of you, it's the Boy Scout motto. I love the Boy Scouts. We've got lots of them in our church. I think it's a wonderful organization. So for some of you, the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words, be prepared, is, is Boy Scouts. Others of you may think, well, that just sounds like good wisdom, right? Being prepared is, is a good thing to do. And so be prepared, for some of you, just is, is a general term of, of good wisdom. And there are others of you, like me, Boy Scout dropouts, who when you hear the words, be prepared, there is only one thing that comes to mind. The 1993 Disney classic, The Lion King. And if you remember in The Lion King, the part where Uncle Scar, mean Uncle Scar, gathers his hyenas and he sings the song, Be Prepared. That comes to your mind this morning for some of you. Well, our scripture this morning, Jesus is calling us to be prepared. And he's calling us to be spiritually prepared for his return. And as we're going to see this morning... We don't know exactly how long that's going to be. And so it's being prepared for the long haul. And so the question that we're asking this morning is how do we prepare ourselves spiritually for the long haul? How do we prepare ourselves spiritually for the long haul? If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. We're going to have them on the, the screen as well. But hear God's word this morning. <clears throat> Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with them. With their lamps, excuse me. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the, doors, the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy and inerrant word. Would you pray with me? King Jesus, we pray this morning that you would open our hearts and minds and eyes afresh to your word, and you would speak to us, and that you would change us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, as the summer months are in full swing, some of you no doubt have, have done some traveling. And if you happen to be traveling a long distance, a long distance, especially a long car ride, then you know uh, the importance of being well prepared. And I would say that you especially know the importance of being well prepared if you are taking a long car ride with small children. 
Because when you travel long distances with small children, you know the importance of having enough snacks and enough DVDs and enough juice boxes and enough coloring books for not only your four-hour drive, but potentially eight-hour drive, uh, because you should you fail to adequately prepare for a long car ride with small children, you can be guaranteed of one thing. And you can be guaranteed of this, is that if you fail to prepare in a long car ride with children, once you arrive at your destination, if everyone is alive, you will look at your significant other, you will look at your spouse, and you will vow one thing and one thing only. And you know what that is, isn't it? We will what? Never do this again. Well, this morning, our Lord Jesus is showing us the necessity of being spiritually prepared. And as we'll see, the stakes are high. Because it's not the comfort of a car ride that he's talking about this morning. But he's talking about the very well-being of our souls. And our passage is one of multiple teachings that Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives. And he's, he's talking not to the Pharisees or, or pagans, but he's talking to his disciples. To those of us today in, in the church. And if you look back over the previous chapters, one of which I preached a few weeks ago, Stephen preached another message from the Mount of Olives last week. Jesus is warning his followers and he's warning them to watch and to be ready for his return. And he's not using it as some kind of a scare tactic. But what he's doing is he's reminding us of our humanity. He's reminding them and us of the fact that one day, either through death or his second coming, we will stand before Christ. And as such, it's very clear that there are those who will be prepared and those who are not. And so because of this, Jesus is reminding us this morning to watch, to be prepared. But it's not just to be prepared in some kind of a general sense, as it's a good wisdom. As John Calvin notes, what Jesus is pointing to specifically this morning is that it's not enough to have been once ready and prepared for discharge of duty if we do not preserve to the end. What Jesus is talking about is being prepared for the long haul, for the long, potentially long wait until his return. And this idea of a long obedience in the same direction, it's something that even non-Christians understand as well. Frederick, atheist Frederick Nietzsche said at one point, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results and has always resulted in the long run, something that, which has made life worth living. And if non-Christians understand this idea of staying the course, how much more for, for us as followers of Christ? How much more for us as followers of Jesus? Is it important for us to understand what it means to be spiritually prepared? And what we're going to see is that being prepared requires more than just a short-term zeal. 
but rather a long obedience in the same direction. And so as we walk through the passage this morning, I'm going to point out several things that I think that Jesus wants us to see as we, like his disciples, are waiting for his return. And so if you have your Bibles, I, I, you can turn them on or flip to them, but I invite you to follow along with me. And we're going to start out and you look in verse 1 and it says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And so what Jesus is doing, he's giving us a picture of what the kingdom will be like. And he's using a first century Palestinian wedding. And here's essentially what would happen, is that the bridegroom would leave his home and he would go to the bride's home where various ceremonies would take place. And then after some undisclosed amount of time later that night, everyone would then process back through the streets and back to the home of the bridegroom. And so obviously if it's late at night, um, there's no exterior street lamps, everyone would be expected to carry their own lamp or their own torch to light the way. And so once back at the home of the bridegroom, the celebration and party would continue. And these celebrations would last multiple days at a time. Now listen, I love a good wedding. I love a good wedding. I love everything about it. I love the celebration. I love the worship. I love the dancing. I love the food. I, I absolutely love it. But just remember, if you ever complain about a wedding here, day-long wedding. Think about that when you have to foot the bill for one, one day. Man, thanks be to God. It's only one, one, one day, one night, right? But these, to these, these ten virgins here what, simply means young girls who are er, eligible to be married. And so essentially teenage Girls And perhaps they were bridesmaids who had been assisting the bride. But either way, as they're, wa- they're waiting, and they're waiting for this procession back to the bridegroom's home. And so the first thing I want us to do this morning is notice the similarities between the two groups of ladies. Because they do share several things in common. And the first is this, is that they're all invited to the banquet. All of them are invited to be a part of the ceremony and the celebration. Furthermore, they all said yes to the invitation. Right? They're not strangers. These are people that know each other. I got placed a couple weeks ago on a totally random text message chain. And it came from this unknown number. And here's what the message said. It said, hey guys wanted to start a groomsman text chain so that we could get to know each other. Now, I looked over at Kelly and I said, hey, did, did I agree to be a groomsman? <laughs> and somebody's, well, maybe I did. Maybe it was like some long promise I made to somebody. Uh, and I said, I don't remember saying yes. Uh, and so, in good form, what do you think I did? I couldn't resist. I said, great, who's the groom? And this went on for a little bit, and eventually one of them texted me privately, and he said, hey man, Tom is the groom. And I said, Tom who? And he told me his last name. Of course, I said, oh, that Tom. And he just laughed, and this kept going. And finally, about a week or two afterwards, this guy randomly texted me back, and he said, who are you? (laughs) And I said, I don't know what's worse, man, the fact that that I did this, or it took you two weeks to realize that you have no idea who I am. But unlike that, that, that invitation that I got to a wedding to be a part of the wedding, and having no idea who this guy was, I didn't even know anybody. 
These, these ladies would have been known and known each other. They all have a connection, as we see, to the bridegroom. They're all together. And in some sense, they're all waiting for his arrival. They all have lamps. And they even all fall asleep. Often this parable can be a little confusing. Well, falling asleep, sometimes the scripture is not necessarily a good thing, but they're not chastised for it. And so the point here that Jesus is making is not don't rest. And so if you look at the similarities and you think about us as the church, what do we see? Well, if you're here in the church today or in the part of the visible church and the people who are sitting out there, us, we're all people who have heard the gospel. We're not strangers. We are all people who have responded positively to Christ with some connection to the bridegroom. We're all waiting, like the rest of the church, waiting for him to come. And so yet there are differences. There are, there are similarities. And there are good similarities. And yet there are major differences. And that's what Jesus is using here. Because for a while, all, they all have some good things in common. They don't all have the most important thing in common. You follow along in verse 2, and it says, Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. You see, five of these ladies were prepared, and five were not. And, but all had one job. Right, you've probably seen those images before where somebody goofs something up, right? And it just says you had one job. They all had one job, to welcome the bridegroom with their lights, to make sure that they were ready when the bridegroom arrived. But only five of them were ready. You see, five of them kept the main thing the main thing. Five of them took their jobs serious. They made sure that they had enough oil so that no matter how long the bridegroom took, no matter how many days, no matter how many hours, no matter how many weeks, no matter how many years, that they would be ready. You see, the five wise ladies said no to lots of other things. Some of them good things. But they said no to lots of things, and probably lots of good things, in order to say yes to the ultimate thing, and yes to the best thing. Because the wise lady's focus remained at all times on the bridegroom. Subsequently, you look at the five foolish ladies, and what do we see? They weren't ready. They didn't take their job Serious. They didn't prepare well. Maybe they got distracted by the festivities of the party. Maybe they were just happy to be a part of the club, just happy to be here. And no doubt they said yes to lots of good things and well as well. 
But they said yes to good things, and in doing so said no to the best thing. And it's not that they lost their focus on the bridegroom, but I think that what Jesus is saying to us is that their focus was never really on him in the first place. And so at midnight when the cry comes out, here's the bridegroom, here he is, come out to meet him. What do they do? They get up and they try to relight their lamps, right? It says they're trimming their wicks. And they realize what? We're out of oil. We didn't prepare well. And so what do they do? They ask. They ask the wise ladies, hey, give us some of yours, give us some of yours. But what do they say in return? If I give you mine, then I'm not going to have enough. Go on your own and buy it. And as they depart, and they do, and they leave to go buy it, the procession comes by and it leaves them out. And so by the time they even realize they're out of oil, it's too late. And so what Jesus, I think, is saying here, and for us this morning, is that it's worth taking some time to reflect on our lives. Because Jesus is being very clear. Again, it's not some kind of a scare tactic, but just a fact. It's a fact that there are those in the church who will start well and look really good but never finish the race. That there are those in the church who can do lots of really, really good things. They can come to church and they can even tithe and, and look the part. And yet, in the midst of doing lots of good things, completely miss the ultimate thing. And dare I say, the most important thing. And so I ask you a question this morning. Are you content to just come to church? Are you, to, are you content to just come to church? Or do you have a burning desire to not just come to church, but a burning desire to be the church? To be the church as you go? Where's the focus of your heart and your life? Are you maintaining a focus on the bridegroom? Are you living in a state of expectation in return of the king? Or is it something that in your heart and your mind you think, oh, there'll be time to worry with that later? Maybe when I'm older. Maybe when I've got all these things settled, then I'll focus on that. Maybe, maybe when I've got the house and the job and the car or students, the grades and the friends and the college and the experience that you're looking for, maybe then I'll take some time and focus on this. But not right now. Now is my time. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then I'll focus on the bridegroom. Well, friends, this morning what Jesus is portraying to us is that's a very dangerous, dangerous approach to life. Because we do not know the hour of his, his return. And I think as, we, as, I, as I was studying for this message and looking at it, it really began to resonate with me personally. And I grew up in, the Baptist, uh, in a Baptist church, and, and I remember walking uh, an aisle at one point in my life and, and praying a prayer and, and getting baptized. Uh, and I actually did this like three times, so I was a really bad Baptist. I'm a bad Baptist now, I was a bad Baptist <laughs> then. 
looking back, but I did, literally three times I've been baptized. Uh, and I had, but I had lots of head knowledge. And I had lots of, of right answers. Right? I could give you all the, the, the information that you wanted. But when it came to Jesus in the church, I was just looking for fire insurance. Right? I checked the box. I did just enough to keep my mom happy. Uh, I pointed that way because she's here this morning. I did enough to keep my mom happy to not be mad at me. Um, but then I was ready to move on with the rest of my life. And I was totally missing it. Because I thought, oh, I'm just going to believe in Jesus and then I'll kind of do whatever I want. And I'll, I'll do a little bit here and there. And it was just kind of floating through like it was no big deal. But I've also told you after further reflection that what I was doing at that point, and what I would have said, is that I want to do what I want to do now. And I'll focus on that later. And I was totally missing it because it wasn't until I came to the realization that Christianity is not just about believing in Jesus and trying to do enough good things and then I'll be okay. Christianity, the gospel itself, is, is the message of what? That I'm not okay. That I'm in desperate need of not just a good teacher or a good role model, but I'm in desperate need of a Savior. And so if you're here this morning, and as you're reflecting on your spiritual life, do you have the oil of salvation? If the Lord Jesus were to return now, would you be prepared? As you reflect on your life, are you doing just enough to feel good about yourself? Are you actively living out of the fact that in and of yourself, you don't have a whole lot to feel good about. And that apart from the relationship with Jesus, that you would be lost. Are you being fueled by the grace and the kindness and the mercy that Christ has showed to you? Both in his perfect life that he gives to you and the death that he died on your behalf. And is that fueling your heart and your worship and your Bible study and your prayer to stay the course? Are you trusting this morning in your righteousness or in his righteousness? You know, I know that we don't do things here at the Presbyterian Church like they do at the Baptist Church. And so maybe some of you haven't had that experience where you walk an aisle and, uh, and pray a prayer. But maybe for some of you, you just stood up and said, yeah, I believe that at one point. Maybe it was confirmation class. Maybe it was something else. And you kind of signed off on this and you checked the box and it's kind of put church over here as another part of your life. But... Church and your relationship with Jesus is not affecting everything else around you and every other aspect of your life, your family, your finances, your work, students, your grades, your relationship with your parents and siblings and friends, what you do in your free time. And I think even for our students, you know, you think about this idea of starting and stopping and this, this short burst and this temporary Zeal, and I think every year that we go to D now here in Thomasville, and it's it's amazing thing that you can have a thousand students all over Thomas County get together and hear the gospel of Jesus and be excited about what God is doing. But there's often this spiritual high, and you get really fired up about Jesus. And what happens is that sometimes, and for some of you, it lasts, but for others, 
In the days and weeks later, this fire that, that seems so, to burn so hard dwindles and eventually goes out. My question is, what's missing in your life? And there's two other things that I want us to notice from this passage this morning. And the first is something that Jesus is not saying. What Jesus is not saying is that spiritual preparedness is earning your salvation. In fact, what Jesus is showing us is that spiritual preparedness isn't earning, but it's evidence of salvation. Being spiritually prepared doesn't earn you favor with God, but it's evidence of a relationship and the favor of God that you have experienced in your own heart and life. Because salvation comes through, by grace, through faith alone in Christ. And it's a window. Being prepared is a window into the heart. It's not defining that you have to, it's something that you have to earn. And I think the second thing worth noting that we see in this passage is when these ladies get up and they realize that they don't have enough oil, they ask their, their counterparts, hey, can we borrow some of your oil? And they say, no, because then I won't have enough. And I think there's a principle here that we can't live on borrowed oil. That the oil of our salvation, we can't live off of someone else's oil, be it a spouse or a friend or a parent. This is something that has to happen and that we have to have and take ownership of ourselves. And so how do we prepare ourselves spiritually for the long haul? Because while on the face of it, it could be really easy to say, well, worship, right? Read your Bible and pray. But I want us to take it a step deeper this morning. Because again, I think that you can go through even the motions of that and not engage the heart. And I think we start with taking time to reflect on, on some of these questions that I've asked. And most importantly, the main question. Do you have the oil of salvation? Have you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you turned from trusting in your good works and placed your faith in Jesus' work on your behalf, that he lived the life that we couldn't and died the death that we should have. And if that's you this morning, and maybe you're here, uh, and that's the first time you've even thought about that, but I want to encourage you that if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, in just a minute the band is going to come back up, we're going to sing one last song, and during that time I, I would encourage you this morning to take some time and pray. And maybe today is the day of salvation for you. To turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus. I would also encourage you, I'll be up front afterwards if you would like to talk or grab one of our elders or whoever invited you. And talk to them about what that would potentially mean for you. And there are others of us here who know that we have that oil, but maybe feel like our, our fuel gauge is low. And our tank is low. And I would encourage you to do some soul searching as well. Is there a part of your life that if the Lord Jesus were to return today, you would not be happy with his coming? Is there some, something that needs attention in your heart and in your life? Some relationship, some sin perhaps that continues to plague you 
something that you've maybe even grown accustomed to. And I encourage you this morning to take that to the cross this morning. To lay that down at Jesus' feet. Maybe something needs, what needs to be removed or added to help you keep your focus on the bridegroom? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask that in the next few moments you would help us to do some heart work. That Holy Spirit, you would do some surgery in our hearts and that you would reveal to us the areas where we are in need of you. You would reveal to us things that maybe need to, to be added to our life in order to keep our focus on the you. Maybe something that needs to be taken away that's distracting us from keeping our attention and our hearts on you. Maybe for some the first time we need to begin a relationship with you. And so I just ask in the next few moments, Jesus, that you would work in our hearts and our lives. In Christ's name, amen.